ready for true happiness, for deep fulfillment, for feeling alive, on purpose, and in control of your life again, it's time to be the bold, brilliant, beautiful woman you were born to be. Welcome to the Purpose Girl Podcast. I'm women's happiness and life purpose expert, Karen Rockhind, and I'm going to teach you how to live on purpose, feel alive, and be happy in every aspect of life. I'm going to get real about my life and interview women who are living on purpose so that you can finally live yours. Welcome to the show. Hello, 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 my purpose girls. So I have a confession to make. I am not always optimistic. (laughs) In fact, my sister, sometimes I can be downright pessimistic. Now, of course, that's a confession because I teach optimism tools. I teach purpose. I teach resilience. I teach overcoming. I teach happiness. But hopefully by now you know that I teach all of this because I use the tools myself and that my brain is just like everyone else's brain and it can just be downright pessimistic. And the tools that I have learned and the tools that I have to relearn like all the time to shift my brain into more useful thinking have literally changed my entire life. And I do actually believe that I was born optimistic. I actually think that we're all born optimistic. You know, kids fall down. Think about it. Like soon, I'm God willing, I'm going to have a baby. And when he is however many months old, he's going to learn to stand up and then he's going to fall down and he's going to stand up and he's going to fall down. It doesn't matter how many times he falls down. He's going to keep getting up and keep practicing because there's something in his brain that is optimistic that it will work. So I think we all have that from the time that we are born. And then, of course, life can get in the way and teach us how hard, how damaging, how challenging, how helpless we can be. And so today's episode of the Purpose Girl podcast is all about how do we shift our thinking? How do we shift our brains How do we learn optimistic thinking? And of course, why? Why does it even matter? And we know from the research that it matters big time. It matters big time to your mental health. It matters big time to your physical health. It matters big time to how successful you will be in your career. It matters big time to how loving you will show up with your family. It matters. And I think especially with everything going on in the world today where so many people understandably, are feeling so helpless, so powerless, that what we need now is a good old boost, a good old shot of optimism. Not fake optimism. This is not going to be just like, happy, happy. No. We're going to do this from a perspective of shifting our thinking to what is possible and accurate, and of course, all using the science. So get ready. You want to stay for the whole show for the Purpose Power Tips. I'm going to be giving at the end. And welcome to the Purpose Girl Podcast. But first, our review of the week. This is a five-star review coming from AMEG1414. And she said, love these podcasts. Karen is truly amazing. She resonates with all my good feelings and uplifts my soul. Aw, thank you, my love. That means so much to me. And before I continue, everyone, my new book, Wonderful You, 100 Inspirational Quotes for a Pop of Joy, is available for pre-order now. I am so excited about it. It's exactly what we need right now. It has all these amazing, uplifting, fun, inspirational, get-out-of-the-dumpers quotes that are exactly what we need now. It is so beautifully illustrated. Every single one is fun or beautiful, uplifting. I'm going to take pages from the book and put picture frames around it and just put them up in my office because they're so fun and so inspiring. Plus, I have all these positivity tips throughout that each one will help you boost your mood, will help you get healthy, will help you feel so good and on purpose during this time. It is perfect to have next to your nightstand and just open it up every single day. It's the perfect gift for everybody. Pre-order now. The link is in the show notes. Go on over to Amazon. You will love it, love it, love it. And you will want to get it as your go-to gift for all your friends. And I thank you, thank you, thank you so much for supporting me in that way. So I want to share a story from last summer. We were four years into our fertility journey. If you've listened to the Purpose Girl podcast, you've heard me talk about that we had years of struggle 
we didn't even get married until I was 40 and got pregnant right away on our honeymoon and then lost that baby. And then I thought it would be so easy to get pregnant again because we got pregnant the first time we ever tried. And then it was a year, two years, I can't even remember, and then got pregnant again and then another miscarriage. And at that point last summer, we were six months into working with our fertility doctor. At that point, almost $40,000 of loans in to have our baby. And every month we had another issue. One month it was that the eggs weren't fertilizing. One month it was the doctor telling me that I have an autoimmune issue that has been linked to miscarriages. One month it was that after 20 eggs, we only ended up with one healthy embryo. Now, obviously I know it only takes one because he is now in my belly. But imagine after all those years, all that time, all those eggs to only end up with one. In fact, statistically, our doctor was shocked. After 10, and we only had one to test to see if it would be normal, he was shocked. And so we did another 10. Statistically, we should have had, I don't know, three embryos, five, whatever it might be. So he was absolutely shocked. And so it was just one defeat after another, after another. And then in the summer, we started planning to transfer baby boy <laughs> into my uterus. And my uterine lining wasn't growing. Your uterine lining has to grow to a certain thickness for the embryo to stick. Week after week, no matter what they did to try to thicken my lining, no matter how much acupuncture I had, no matter how much yoga I was doing, no matter how much prayer and meditation and different herbs and supplements and different medications, nothing was working. At the same time, I owned at the time a condominium in Cleveland, my old condominium, and I've been renting it. Our renter left. And so we marketed the property and we had a new renter that was going to be coming in. And we went there to Cleveland to clean it and paint it and get it ready. And while we were painting, someone from the condominium association knocked on the door and said, you can't rent this place again. We have a new bylaw that says you're only allowed to rent it for five years and you've been renting it for more than five years. So you have to sell it. This might not seem like a big issue, except for the fact that the Cleveland market tanked. Back in 2008, when everything tanked, the Cleveland market didn't rebound in the same way. And so the property was worth $40,000 less than I owed on my mortgage. It was worth $80,000 less than I paid for it. And so by selling, I was going to lose $40,000. Now, keep in mind, I had just spent $40,000 on loans, infertility. I was about to lose $40,000 to this condominium situation. And at the same time, we learned about a $20,000 tax bill that was possibility for us. So all of a sudden, we were $100,000 in debt. And my nervous system went into overdrive. I remember laying in, we have a bed in what will be the baby's room. And I remember just laying in there and shaking and shaking and just saying, I can't, I can't, I can't, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. In fact, Purpose Girls, early one morning, I actually called a suicide hotline. I don't know if I was truly suicidal, but I was so desperate in that moment. I was so alone. I felt so helpless, so powerless. I needed someone to listen to me. I needed someone to talk to. I needed someone. And thank you to the woman who answered that hotline, wherever you are, because I just needed to talk. And so even I, who has studied at an Ivy League university, the science of human flourishing, and I teach and study optimistic thinking, even I, in moments, can become completely helpless. And what I'm seeing right now in our world are how many people are in that place. Understandably, right? Because of job loss, because of being stuck in apartments, sometimes studio apartments, not being able to walk outside because of not being able to connect with other people, because of the economy dropping, because of a million things, because of the fear of getting sick. I mean, it's overwhelming, right? As so many people are sitting in this 
helpless, powerless place. The question is, is there anything we can do about it? Years ago, a study was done where people sat down and were told that a loud noise was going to come on. And they were shown these buttons that if they press these buttons, then the noise would turn off. Okay, great. Then the researcher left the room. The noise was apparently awful. And the people, no matter which buttons they pushed, none of them worked. And then those people, over time, just gave up. And then interestingly, later, the same people were brought back. And now some of the buttons would work. And what they found is that two-thirds of the people didn't even try. Didn't even try the new buttons. Didn't even try to do it again. They had just learned to be helpless that no matter what they did, there was nothing that they could do about their circumstance. But what the researcher found, this is a researcher out of the University of Oregon, what he found was that about a third of the people kept trying. Even though the researchers were trying to make them helpless. I mean, the researchers, what they were trying to do was to see if someone had defeat after defeat after defeat, what would happen? Would they keep trying to fight? Would they keep trying to keep going? And two thirds did not. They gave up. But one third kept trying in this new box, this new situation with the buttons. And then they started looking at what what's going on with those one third of people? <laughs> And what they found was a difference in how those people thought. And the thinking, these researchers and Dr. Martin Seligman, who is the founder, father of positive psychology, the field that I study and teach, what they deemed it as was optimistic thinking. Now, here's the thing. It's not that two thirds of people are pessimists and one third are optimists. It's not that simple. Because as I said, I think that we're all born with that optimistic thinking right? We try something, it doesn't work. As a little kid, as a toddler, we try again and we try again and we try again. But over time, how much defeat does it take for you to feel completely helpless, completely powerless? And last summer, I think that that's where I was. It just was like too much. Now, fortunately, I have the benefit of knowing this work intimately and practicing it and teaching it and getting to teach it over and over and over again. I mean, that's the beauty of teaching is that you get to learn it over and over and over again. And what I know is that it isn't a character trait. I know so many people who just say, ah, he's a pessimist or I'm a pessimist. There's nothing I can do. It actually has been found. It's not a character trait. You're not a pessimist or an optimist. It is all about how you think. And so when those one third of people kept trying, they started studying what is going on with those one third of people. And what they found is that those people thought differently. And the way that they thought was about how they explain difficult situations. Let me repeat that. It's about how you explain a difficult situation. Do you explain a difficult situation as, oh, this always happens to me. See, nothing ever goes right for me. Yep. Here we go into the shit show again. And believe me, I'm telling you, I have had all those thoughts before. So there's no judgment here. Or do you explain a difficult situation as, you know what? Difficult things happen to everybody. I've gotten through them before. I can get through them again. Do you explain difficult situations as, you know what? Let me think about how else I can see this. Do you explain a difficult situation as this isn't permanent? This too will pass. And how do I want to be? Who do I want to be? How do I want to show up when it does pass? Do you explain a difficult situation as there being a possibility of shift? And so here's what we know. It's called explanatory style in the psychological research. The first element is permanence, is how permanent is the situation? Do you explain it with, it's always this way, Nothing's ever going to change for me. You always nag or my boss is such a jerk and always will be. So do you use the always and the nevers, right? And do you explain it as permanent? That's it. See, it's just I'm never going to get another job. The economy is never going to rebound. It's never going to be good or it's just going to take too long. Do you explain it with some permanence? Like it just is what it is. Or are you able to explain it? that this is temporary, this too shall pass, that we've been through difficult situations before and we will get through them 
again. Because it's temporary, you say to yourself, what would I like to do with my time? How would I like to come out of this? How do I want to show up? How do I want to do this differently? What else is possible? Do you see it as permanent or do you see it as temporary? The second aspect is pervasive. Do you see it as kind of taking over your whole life? You make universal statements. (laughs) Universal statements like, see, now the economy is down and so just we're never going to have a retirement fund. Universal statements like, now that I lost my job, my wife or husband is going to leave me and we're going to have no money and we're going to end up in a cardboard box. Universal pervasive statements like one challenge is going to impact everything in your life. And again, no judgment. I have been there. That's why I started with a story. Or can you keep it specific and isolated? Like this is coronavirus. It is a one-time situation. It does not have to impact everything. Yes, it sucks right now, but it is not going to impact my marriage. It is not going to impact the rest of what we have going on. We will figure it out. In the case of my situation this summer, even though it seemed like it was pervasive, everything in my life was falling apart, right? Keeping it specific meant this situation with fertility does not mean that our marriage is going to fall apart, does not mean that my life is over, does not mean that I couldn't survive if I didn't end up having a child or that there are other ways to have a child, adoption in other ways. Keeping it specific means, yes, it sucks. (laughs) This is a lot of money that I am suddenly in debt to, over, whatever the word is. Yes, this is a lot of money to be in debt. And it doesn't mean I'm going to lose my house. And it doesn't mean I'm going to lose everything. It is isolated right here, not going to ruin everything. So can you keep it specific? And the last element is how personal you make it. Are you blaming someone else or blaming yourself for your issues? The pessimistic thinking style is to say, it's my fault. I always do this. Everybody hates me. And that is actually thinking that my brain does and has From the time I was younger, I think it was a defense mechanism to try to keep everybody happy with me and to try to have everyone love me. My brain immediately goes to, it's my fault. What did I do wrong? Or if it gets too hard for me to beat myself up, I immediately then will blame somebody else. They're at fault. It's their fault. And I'm just letting you into all my dirty secrets today, right? (laughs) Like Because I want you to hear how normal it is. That kind of thinking, either blaming yourself or blaming someone else is not helpful. That is a pessimistic thinking style. An optimistic thinking style says it's not necessarily anyone's fault. I'll give you a very recent example of just this week. Right now, the United States government is offering loans to small businesses to be able to keep payroll going and be able to stay in business. And so Josh and I decided that we would apply for one of these loans. We hired our accountant to help us get all the paperwork together. Our accountant sent us the paperwork Monday afternoon. You have to go through the bank on these loans. And on Monday, our bank announced they weren't taking any more loans. And so we didn't even get the paperwork to apply before they were already closed. So my brain wanted to blame the accountant. It's the accountant's fault. They didn't do it fast enough. And then my brain started blaming myself. I should have just done it myself. I shouldn't have hired an accountant. I should have just done it. When Josh sat in the very same situation and he said, no one could have known that the bank was going to close so early that this was going to happen. This wasn't the accountant's fault and it wasn't your fault. We did the best that we could, right? So there's this personalization or not personalization. Think about in your own life right now. Are you blaming yourself or someone else for your situation? And is that really helpful or useful? Because what it actually does is just, at least for me, it causes a lot more stress, a lot more panic, a lot more anger, And therefore, a lot more unhealthy hormones going through my body that can cause cardiac arrest, that can cause a lower immune system, that can cause inflammation, that can cause physical damage, can cause mental health damage. And it's amazing how quickly the brain can go into one of these pessimistic thinking styles. It's just incredible. It's not all or nothing. There are other situations where I can see the clear picture And I can see it more rationally and more even and more balanced. 
And Josh is the one who either goes to blaming or he goes into permanence, you know, so it's not an all or nothing, right? We want to be really careful not to say, I am a pessimist or I am an optimist. It doesn't work like that. It's rather looking at a situation by situation basis and really being able to say to yourself, how am I looking at this particular situation? And the first question is, is it helpful? Is the way I'm thinking about this, is the way I'm approaching this helpful? Because the way I was looking at the situation with our bank simply was not helpful. What was more helpful was to be able to see this as it is temporary. Yes, our bank closed the process before we could even get in. And then to move into and what else is possible. So we called our accountant and he said, start getting on the phone, finding another bank, seeing who else will take you. Okay. So we started for hours the other night emailing, calling every bank we could find. And now it looks like we have a good lead on one. Yay! But we had to have kind of a rational mind to be able to do that. We had to be able to say, just because our bank is closed, that's not permanent. It's not going to ruin our whole life. It's not going to ruin our chances. And it's not personal. We had to be able to come into right mind, or I should say I had to be able to come into right mind. And I've done a lot of thinking about this over the last couple of days. Why did I get so heated? so quickly? Why did I jump into this pessimistic thinking style, into this blaming, into this permanent thinking? Why why did I go there? And why did it happen so quickly? And what I've come to is that this is really a defense mechanism that I built over time. Because when I was a little girl, I was super optimistic. Like, I think annoyingly optimistic if you were to ask my brother and my sister. My sister and one of her best friends from college still have a joke that I fart puppy dogs and rainbows. So like my optimism is just so high that, you know, everything to me is rainbows. And maybe my college, I was still in that place, but a lot has happened since then, right? So when I was a little girl and maybe you were the same way or maybe you were different, no matter what happened, I think I really was able to see the silver lining, One summer when I was a kid, my parents took us on a driving trip, like a National Lampoon's vacation. Have you seen that movie? And we drove from Michigan to California, which is a long drive. I mean, like days and days and days. But the way we did it, we would stop at every national park, every scenic view. You know, we made a whole trip of it. And it was like three or four weeks, this trip. At one of the national parks, I fell into a raging river. I was eight years old. I fell in. And my mom, I remember being in that river, my mom was screaming, understandably, her little eight-year-old girl was in this raging river. And I remember all of a sudden standing up and going, ta-da, that I was okay. And I remember in that moment, my brother was actually like, you're okay, you got this, you're okay, you got this. And it's just so interesting. I do not judge my mother at all for going into the panic and screaming and probably that moment of the quote unquote pessimistic thinking style. I don't judge her at all. I'm sure I'm going to be the same as a mother. But I do remember that as like this moment of choice. And I stood up and I put my arms out, ta-da, you know, came out of that river. And that's really who I always was when I was a little girl. Even when I was in high school, I ran for student government and oh my goddesses, you should have seen how I ran for student government. I was such a freaking geek. I would make these amazing posters. My dad was an architect, so he had like access to all these different colors and markers. And I made the most gorgeous posters and hung them all over the school. And I was so sure I was going to win. And I was like so into it. And I so wanted to be on student council. And the first year I did get on, I think I was class secretary, something, I don't know. And then the second year when I tried, I didn't get in. I lost my election. And I felt so devastated. I remember going into the library and just crying. I was so ashamed. I felt so much shame in losing. And my English teacher at the time, Mr. Honeyman, who I'm still friends with on Facebook. He's so amazing. (laughs) Even though he's retired now, he's like friends with all of his students on Facebook. And he's so great. He found me in the library and we talked for a while and I came out. And the next year I tried out again. And I went for it again to get on student council. And I remember my friend Rebecca saying to me, you're so resilient. It doesn't matter how many times you fail, you keep trying. And her saying that to me when I was, what, 15, it really stuck with me. 
because I believe that that's who I always was, that I, even though I was heartbroken and had that ability, I did keep getting back up. And that has truly been the story of my life. I did an episode, I did an episode of the Purpose Girl podcast a few weeks ago about being a weeble wobble, because I think we all are. We fall down, we get back up, we fall down, we get back up. Well, what made me be able to do so, I understand now, was more about how I thought about situations. And then over time, as life became harder, you know, when I was a senior in high school, my first love, my girlfriend abused me for almost a whole year. She would hit me. She would pinch me. She would walk up to me when we were in a restaurant and nobody was looking and punch me in the gut. It was terrifying. It was horrible. And at some point in that, I think I started to learn to be helpless. And in so desperately wanting to be loved, I think I developed at some point a blaming, blaming myself that this is my fault or blaming someone else that this is their fault. And then maybe after the divorce, it's his fault. It's his fault. Until I had to realize it wasn't his fault. It was no one's fault. We just weren't meant to be together forever. And then the gun robbery. And then a year or so later, when I was out on Lake Erie on a boat with my dear friend Ed, and we were the only people out on the lake that day, and he dove off and he couldn't swim and I couldn't save him and he ended up drowning. And I was screaming for him to survive, to swim to me. I was throwing him ropes. I remember after that, my boss's wife saying to me, you poor thing, so many bad things happened to you. And I believe I've shared that before on the podcast. And I remember thinking at the time, I just don't see it that way. I don't see that so many bad things happened to me. I see that everything in my life has been for a purpose, that there's a reason for it. Well, now add on top of those situations, the miscarriages, the fertility, the challenges. At some point, I think I started to learn defeat and started to learn helplessness. And so I've got these two sides of my brain, one, the defense mechanism of the pessimistic thinking style, and one, the more natural state of the optimistic thinking style. And fortunately, now we know from the research that optimistic thinking style is something that everyone can learn. And what we also know is that we need to, because we know that people with an optimistic thinking style, they don't get that same inflammation. They don't get that same stress response in their bodies. And therefore, their immune systems are healthier. They're better able to fight off colds. People with that optimistic thinking style or people who can get there quickly, even if you go into the pessimistic thinking style at first, you are more likely to have better mental health, less depression. Think about it, because if you continuously think everything bad always happens to me, here we go again, this is endless, this is never going to change, you end up depressed, understandably. Plus, how much anxiety is there? And saying there's nothing I can do, it's never going to go any better, it's never going to be any different. And so it's better for your mental health. If you can shift and learn that optimistic thinking. In addition, I mentioned this earlier, it's better for your career. Well, a research study was done with Merrill Lynch, where a researcher at the University of Pennsylvania gave salespeople an optimistic thinking style, pessimistic thinking style test. And what he found is that the people with an optimistic thinking style sold 37% more. So 37% more. Now that is huge. Whether you in your current or a future career are in sales or not, we are all in sales. Why? Because even if you work within a company in a department, you have internal customers. So we all need this optimistic thinking style. And so the recommendation from that study that was done at a Wharton at the University of Pennsylvania, the recommendation was for companies to use an optimistic thinking style test before hiring salespeople. Makes sense, right? Optimistic thinking styles also help with your relationships because are you more in a place of blame? You always do this or you never do that. Are you in a place of this is always going to suck? I was just reading a friend's Facebook post about how she and her husband were starting separation just before coronavirus hit. And now they need to be sequestered in the house together. And for some people, that is an absolute nightmare. <laughs> it's just going to make the divorce come sooner. 
But for her and for him, they actually used it as a time to shift their thinking and say, is there any way for us to connect? What else is possible here? And to be together. And so they're thinking about being together. And she was so honest in her post. She said, it hasn't been easy. We have all the same issues. But now that we're quarantined together and we're thinking about it differently and we're applying this differently, we're learning to appreciate and love each other in new ways. So learning to shift into this optimistic thinking style can help in every aspect of your life. So the question is, how do we do it? Well, I want to share a story of how all this research even came about. Dr. Seligman is an avid gardener. He loves gardening. He has the most gorgeous rose garden at his house. I mean, it's just like rose bush after rose bush. You could walk through it as if you were in a botanical garden. And one day he was weeding in his garden and he was putting all the weeds in a pile. And his five-year-old came up and took all the weeds and started spreading them all around and throwing them everywhere and having so much fun with them. And he got really angry. And his five-year-old, Nikki, said to him, Daddy, do you remember that I used to whine a lot? And he said, yeah. And she said, well, I told myself on my fifth birthday that I wasn't going to whine anymore. And if I can stop whining, you can stop being such a grump. And that was when the light bulb went off for Marty, for Marty Seligman, the founder of Positive Psychology, that we could teach well-being. It was a light bulb from his daughter, Nikki, who now is, you know, a young woman, an adult woman. <laughs> and it's so incredible. This is why I know kids have that ability and that natural state of optimism, that natural state of shifting and being flexible. But fortunately, we now know from the research and we now know from tools that we can shift as well, no matter where you are. So the first thing is to become aware of your own response to adversity and challenge. And that is not easy in the moment. I mean, this summer when I was going through that, that day, maybe those few days, certainly those couple of hours, I was so in that fight flight mode. I was so in that helplessness that I could not see another way. Fortunately, I had this training and this ability and even reaching out to somebody was a way to start to shift, right? I didn't have any hope or belief or any optimism. I wouldn't have even reached out to that woman to talk. But I did. And so I know how hard it is in the moment to shift. But the more we practice these tools, the more they are available to us, even in the difficult moments, even the most difficult moments. So the first thing to do is even just start to notice with love, no judgment, total love and compassion for yourself, no judgment. Notice how you respond to adversities. Just sit back. And as you're listening to the news, what are your thoughts? Or you're hearing about the economy. What are your thoughts? Or there's a challenge with one of your children or with a loved one or a partner. What are your thoughts? Or if you're losing your job right now, what are your first thoughts? And just start tracking it in a journal. Notice it first. And again, with love and compassion. And I keep repeating that because Otherwise, you go into the blame. Oh, see, here I am. I'm so pessimistic. Here I suck or whatever it might be. But I'm sharing my honest truth because I want you to know how human this is, how natural, how normal our brain is. The thing is, just because it's natural and normal doesn't mean that it's healthy for us. But I want you to normalize it with love and compassion for yourself. You know what? Karen is an expert in this and her brain goes there too. So it's okay. We have to non-judgmentally be able to first be aware of what's happening. The second step is the more you're aware of it, the more you can recognize it happening in the moment or shortly thereafter. Or you may even enlist a friend, a loved one, your partner. Hey, if you notice this thinking in me, can you help me with this? And just say, I'm noticing this thinking in you because it could snap you out of it to be able to work with it. Then there are a couple of tools and these are some of your purpose power tips The first tool is to learn to take your thoughts to court, literally to court. And what you want to do with this thinking tool, many people call it ABC. The A stands for the adversity. The B is the belief or the thought that you have about it. The C is the consequence. It could be a physical consequence, a thinking consequence, a emotional reaction consequence. So A, adversity fertility not going well this summer. B, belief we're never going to have a baby. 
see consequence, crying, screaming, pessimistic thinking, not wanting to live, all of that. And then fortunately, we can add the D and the E. And the D is dispute. You need to be able to dispute the B. The issue all lies in how you're thinking about the situation. Notice that as I was thinking about it, I thought we're never going to be able to have a baby. Well, so we want to take that thought to court. Is that true? How can I absolutely know it's true? Which is one of my favorite questions from Byron Katie. Well, that's not necessarily true. I mean, we could have a baby in other ways or this one embryo might work out or we might be able to figure out how to grow my uterine lining. So right there, I disputed it. I took it to court. What evidence do I have that it's true that I will never be able to have a baby? I had no evidence. I had evidence of how difficult it was. I had evidence of how many challenges we had had, but I had no evidence that it would never work out for us. And then we get into the E, which Dr. Seligman calls energization. I've heard other people call it a new explanation. There are other ways to think about the E, but basically you want to then come up with a more realistic thought, which would be, yeah, we've had so much trouble so far with fertility. It has sucked. And there are other possibilities. So notice that I'm not just saying everything will be fine. It'll be okay. It'll be okay. I'm not just placating it. I'm not just pretending that the difficulty, the challenge, the pain isn't there. Because if you do that, it doesn't it doesn't help, right? If you just try to put lipstick you know, on a pig or you try to put flowers on a fart, like the fart is still there. If you try to put something pretty over that pain, the pain is still there. So it's totally okay to acknowledge this sucks, this hurts, this is hard. And here's a more accurate way to look at this. That's your ABCDE. You have to get clear on what is the thought that is causing all the pain and then Take that thought to court, dispute it, and come up with a new explanation that is not fake, that is absolutely based on truth. It is accurate. This is not positive thinking. This is accurate thinking. And what we know is when you can have that accurate thinking, your nervous system calms down, you restore into a healthier status, and therefore your organs can remain healthier, therefore your mental health can remain healthier, And then you can find new ways of thinking about something. Purpose power tip number two, a tool I love called worst case, best case, most likely. Your brain goes to worst case, right? That's the whole permanence thing. One of my coaching clients called me one day and said, they're firing me. And I said, well, how do you know that they're firing you? She said, well, they're having a closed door meeting, all these closed door meetings everywhere. (laughs) So we did this tool. Okay, well, what's the worst case if they do fire you? All right, what's the worst case? The worst case is I'll lose my job. I said, okay, and if you lose your job, what's the worst case that would happen from that? And she said, well, then we wouldn't have money. I said, okay, if you don't have money, what's the worst case? We'll lose our house. Okay, if you lose your house, what's the worst case? And ultimately she got down to worst case with it. She and her four children would be living in a cardboard box underneath a bridge somewhere. Now that right there made her laugh, right? Because how realistic is it that you are going to let that happen? She's like, I would never let that happen. Because somewhere in that process, She would find another job. She would start asking her neighbors if she could rake their leaves. She would do anything to ensure that she and her children were safe. She might find a family member to live with. She would do anything. But the brain goes to worst case, so we just let her brain go there. So I said, okay, even if they fire you, what's the best case? Well, that I find a better job. Okay, awesome. And then what would be the better case? Well, then I would make more money. Awesome. So then what would be the best case? Well, then they would promote me. Awesome. So if they promote you, what's the best case? Well, then I would become the CEO. And if you became the CEO, what's the best case? Until we have an equal, right? You have to go worst case. Our brains know how to go worst case so easily. You have to go as big with best case as you went as down and low with worst case. Go to your Oprah moment. Go to your gazillionaire. Go to whatever best case would be for you. You've got to go. And what I notice when doing this tool with people, their brain can go worst case, very far down low, as worst, as worst, as worst. But best case, they go, everything will work out. No, in order to do this tool, you have to have complete opposites. You have to go as high with best case because then you do the third step, which is what is the most likely? So I said, okay, you've got your worst case, you got your best case. What's the most likely to happen here? Most likely if I lose my job, I'll get another job and we'll be fine. And how does that feel? That feels pretty good. I can manage that. So 
that is a beautiful tool. She and I did that and we did the ABCDEs. And once we started finding evidence for whether or not she was going to be fired, she had actually just gotten a raise a couple of weeks beforehand. And so she actually had evidence that the company loved her and was happy with her performance. And so she was not going to be fired. So you can use either of these thinking tools. Now, the third purpose power tip or thinking tool I want to give you is something I've talked a lot about on the Purpose Girl podcast, but I want to remind you of it. And it is the genius of hope. Some people think hope is fluffy. Someone once said that to me when I was doing a team workshop, a executive said to me, oh, hope is fluffy. Not exactly. (laughs) We actually know from the research that what even the tiniest spark of hope does is it shifts you from that total helpless place into belief, into action, into motivation, and into strategies, even the tiniest bit of hope. And so it's a beautiful time right now to really say to yourself, even if my job is gone, what kind of job am I hoping for? What kind of environment would I like to work in? What might I hope for that's even better? Even if the economy is down, what am I hoping to do with this time? How might I hope to show up? How might I hope to be with my neighbors? Or you're shut into a small space with your kids and three dogs and you know <laughs> fish and everything else. How do I hope to show up and be with my family this time? How do I hope to look back and see this time? The research says that hope ignites agency or motivation and hope ignites your brain to find pathways or strategies to make a goal happen. So hope helps you get clear on a goal and then get there. And once you do that, you're shifted out of the helpless place, out of the powerless place, and into a place where you have some choice. Y'all know I wear the Purpose Girl I Choose necklace every single day. There's never been a more important time to say, I choose. I choose. And so what are you choosing? I'm not saying this is easy. I mean, I give you all my personal examples because it's not easy and it's possible. And the fourth tool is desire. So there's hope, which ignites a spark and desire, which turns you on. Now this is the feminine. All right. Everything I've given you so far in this episode has been evidence science. Desire is the feminine and desire is where that fire is in our belly. It's like really, 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 what do I want? Really, 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 what would turn me on? Really, 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 what would make me happy? So you might be hoping for an even better job. And then you can take it a step further with desire. Ooh, like how much money would I like to make? Ooh, I desire something where I could live my purpose. I desire to be in an environment. I desire a relationship that would just have fabulous sex or have incredible connection or have dinners made for me every night. Desire is just what's juicy and delicious for us. And our brains don't often let us go to desire because we think it's unrealistic. It'll never happen. But dreams are free, my love. Desires are free. And the more you desire something and you actually believe it and you can feel it in your whole body and you can picture it, magic starts to happen starts to show up for you because you start acting differently in the world. And that ultimately, that formula that I just gave you is how I shifted the summer. Here's what I did. After that phone call that I told you about, I started using my ABCDEs. And what evidence did I have that I would never have a baby? None, like I said. Then I went into worst case, best case. And the most likely scenario I said is that we will adopt. And that's fine. That's good. I actually had a vision board from 10 or 12 years ago that showed a beautiful Chinese little girl on it, that that was going to be my child. So it's okay if I adopted. I then went into hope. What am I hoping for? I'm hoping to figure out a financial situation with this condominium. I'm hoping that we find a buyer. I'm hoping I can do a short sale. I'm hoping that... I can figure something out. I'm hoping that we can think through this rationally and we can go step by step. And then I got into desire. And you know what I was really desiring? I was really desiring something wild. 
really desiring something that would just bring out the goddess in me that would let me just go free and have fun. And all of a sudden I said, I want to go to Burning Man. I mean, it was just like all of a sudden I want to go to Burning Man. And I had not even really ever entertained going to Burning Man, but I had so many friends who did and they looked like they were so free and so fabulous and having the time of their lives and dancing and naked and wild and free. And of course, my brain said to me, you're a hundred thousand dollars in debt right now. You cannot afford five thousand dollars to go to Burning Man. Are you crazy? Plus, all the tickets are sold out. They've been sold out for months. But my desire was strong. And at this point in my life, after everything I've been through and after everything that I have created and built, all using the tools that I give you, I knew that if my desire is strong, it's going to happen and it's going to be the best thing for me. And so I put out a notice on Facebook. Does anyone know of any tickets? And I was super clear. Josh wanted to go too. And what I really desired was to go with women and be in an RV with other women and that we would have this amazing women's experience and he could go too, but he was going to sleep somewhere else. And sure enough, very quickly, someone said, oh, someone just dropped out of our RV and it was an RV of goddesses who had all done this women's program I had done. I didn't know any of them personally, but we had this commonality around desire and feminine power and freedom and being wild and dancing. And it just worked out. And even though we were in debt, I just gave my credit card And then it worked out one week before that someone else found a ticket for Josh. And yes, he slept in a different RV. And it was actually so fun that way because we each had our own experience. And then we would come together at different times, sometimes during the day, sometimes at night. And we would have dates. It was like we were back in high school or something. It was so delicious. And I went. And an idea of Burning Man is you burn away what is not working for you. You burn away old fears. You burn away old stories. You burn away the limitations, the old beliefs, the challenges. And I even burned away hanging on to the two miscarriages. I had had little girl clothes in the baby's closet for so long, for years, when this one embryo was a boy. And so I decided right there, I wrote into a temple that they were going to burn at the end of Burning Man, love to my two little girl angel babies up there in heaven. And that I was going to let them go and ask them to just watch over us. So that when I came home, I took those girl clothes out of the closet. Right, I burned away anything that wasn't serving me and I rose up free. And while I was there, I said, goddess, I would love to start doing more goddess work with women. I would even love to do some like mm, sensual work with women and sexual work with women. It's not something I advertise. And I said the last day of Burning Man, you know what, goddess, I really, really desire 10 new clients to come to me. And you know what else I desire, goddess? I desire, and remember, I was totally free. I was having a fabulous time. And I said, I desire this whole condo situation to just resolve beautifully. And would you believe that when I came home, (laughs) so free, indeed, 10 new coaching clients came. They just came. I didn't do any marketing. One came from Instagram. She said, I saw you on Instagram. I've been looking for my purpose. Can you help me? I'm barely on Instagram. And she (laughs) just came out of nowhere. Three women said to me, I've been wanting to do sensuality work. I see you and you just seem so sensual and so alive. Would you do that work with me? I am telling you, I have never advertised it in my life. And we did this incredible work together. And I had a totally different approach when going back to the fertility doctor so that I started thinking differently and being more open And I had an idea about how to grow my uterine lining and it worked. And a week later I had my implant and I was pregnant. On top of that, a publisher called me out of nowhere, literally nowhere, and asked if I would ever consider writing a book, a quote book, which I had never considered. But I was like, yeah, that sounds fun. Let's do it. And then I got this book deal for my new book, Wonderful You. And then the day of my transfer, I got the call from Amazon that they were choosing me as their keynote speaker for their International Women's Day. I cannot make this stuff up. I know it seems silly to have desires that seem so out of reach right now. I'm telling you though, when you feel them in your body, you go through the whole process I just took you through. Amazing things can happen. Amazing things can happen. I share these purpose power tips and I share my own stories because I want you to know you're not alone in your thinking. If you're in the dumpers, that is so normal right now. And it is so okay. And you are so entitled to your time with my two boyfriends, Ben and Jerry, you are so entitled to crying and screaming. And I've been doing it all over the last couple of weeks. And 
I don't want you to stay there. I want you to use these tools for your own physical health, for your own mental health, and for you to have the life and the purpose and the beauty and the deliciousness that you desire and are worthy of. Because we will come through this and these tools are going to help. And so my love, I hope that this episode of the Purpose Girl podcast has been helpful to you. We are in this together. We are rising up together as goddesses on purpose, as purpose girls who are going to change this world. If you love this episode, I hope you did. Head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and leave your five-star review. One sentence is helping women all over the world find us. If you want more, then join my newsletter. If you haven't yet, don't wait even one minute. Go on over to PurposeGirl.com, right on the homepage, sign up for my newsletter because every single week I send out the Purpose Girl Power Bite that is a two-minute video for you to have that boost and elevation every week. You'll also be the first to know about different courses I'm doing or different free circles I'm doing or anything I'm doing. So you want to make sure that you are on that newsletter list. Of course, great thing you can do is to share the Purpose Girl podcast with every woman you know because that's how we change the world one woman at a time. And remember, right now, my book, Wonderful You, is on pre-order at Amazon. It is a hundred inspirational quotes with a pop of joy that you will love, love, love. It is so what we need now. It's quotes from all my favorite people and positivity facts from me. And you just keep it on your nightstand, especially now. And it will help you to reshift your thinking. It will help you to have that boost of joy. It will help you to really be who you want to be and show up how you want to be with your family, with your friends. It makes the most perfect gift. Make sure you go to Amazon and the link is in the show notes that you pre-order. You get that soon. And as always, my loves, may you live purposefully. May you love yourself and may you love life. Bye for now.